This is bonus phone booth fighting content, breaking phone booth fighting news. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Hunter here with two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir. Frank, you got another fight. You're fighting somebody. Who are you fighting? When are you fighting them? How are you going to fight them? Are you going to win? How's that for a generic question? There we go. Do you feel good about it? I feel good about all of them. <laughs> uh, but obviously there's always, uh, you know, you look at the uh, X's and O's and how you match up and what's going on. And uh, my last fight fell out due to the individual uh, uh, Ruslan uh, Megadoff uh, yep. got injured. And so I got pulled from the card before I was even announced being on it. By the way, that's breaking news. A lot of people don't even know that fight was going to happen. So we're going to break that news before we break the actual yes. news, which is who your next opponent was. So, so that that originally would have, I think you were going February to try to do that 6th. February 6th. February 6th. Super Bowl weekend card. Uh, 196. Yeah, so that, that was going to happen. He got injured. So now uh, another injured. fight has been made. Yeah, as soon as he uh, made the fight. About a week later, I got the call that he was injured and they pulled out, and uh, you know they were going to try to find me a replacement. Mm -hmm. As it closed, uh, you know, the December came to an end. No replacement was uh, to be found, and so uh, then the opportunity to fight Mark Hunt in uh, Brisbane, Australia, was presented to me. Uh, I've never got to uh, actually go to Australia, and they're well, a huge no. MMA community, and I was very excited about the opportunity to fight there in front of the the uh, Aussie fans. And I think Mark Hunt is a phenomenal opponent. He's a great guy, uh, dangerous on his feet, tenaciously hard to take down, you know, and uh, as of late has really had a great run. He's a very dangerous guy. Uh, obviously, you know, he's near impossible to knock out, has a granite chin and uh, a left hook that's scarier than uh, most guys in the division. And so I think it's going to make for a very exciting fight for the fans to watch uh, me try to figure out the uh, formula to make sure I come out victorious in uh, basically his backyard there in uh, Brisbane. So Frank Mir will take on Mark Hunt on March 19th, uh, UFC Fight Night 84. That's going to be live from Brisbane, Australia. You can see it on Fox Sports 1. And uh, I, I kind of think that's probably going to be a main event. Did they tell Absolutely. you? Absolutely. It'll be a main event. Got to uh, be, right? Well, but I mean, somebody else comes along bigger. Uh, maybe they'll uh, bump us down to co. But uh, as far as I'm aware, we'll be the main event, especially with Mark Hunt fighting right, down there right. in Australia uh, for the uh, Fox card. He was main event last time uh, when he faced there. And so, uh, you know, again, it's an op awesome opportunity to not only fight a legend of uh, the martial arts world in Mark Hunt, you know, K-1 champion and, uh, you know, very well-decorated uh, mixed martial artist, but also to uh, make a trip down there and visit the fans from Australia. It actually works out great for me because my kids' uh, spring break is going to happen, starts that weekend. Oh. Uh, so they're going to actually fly out there, only miss a day or two of school. Oh, they're going to get week. to go. How yeah, awesome. So it'll be one of the times I get to fight. And when I'm done, uh, I'll start my vacation and celebration mm -hmm. of my victory by actually staying in Australia and jumping around and checking out what they have to offer and uh, mm -hmm. and visit uh, the island or the uh, the continent of uh, Australia. So the UFC also uh, is thinking pretty highly of you, Frank, here because a lot of times it's kind of rare that you see uh, someone who's coming uh, off a win get matched with somebody who's coming off a loss unless they are putting a lot of faith in that matchup, you know. And uh, Mark Hunt is. Is coming off of a first round TKO of uh, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, a common opponent yep. that you two guys have. How is it that you two guys 
have never faced each other before. That was the first thing that came to mind because I, I got to tell you, I started uh, thinking when we were trying to make a fight for you before the, uh, the um, I guess it was right after the Andre Arlovsky fight. Uh, we, you know, we were, um, Ricky and I were, were doing the, the podcast together and we were saying, I, I was saying, well, you know, looking at the top 10, cause you're sitting there ranked top 10, you know, who makes sense. And we were talking about Ben Rothwell was out mm. there was a couple other people, but I said, man, Mark Hunt, two legends, two legendary names. They're right there at, I think Mark's ranked number nine right now. You're ranked number 10. That makes a lot of sense with the rankings. Uh, and two guys with, with, with legendary reputations. And yet somehow, Two guys that have never faced you. Does it kind of surprise you that you've never actually been matched well, up before? Well, not really, just because yeah. uh, Mark Hunt was a little bit later to the picture in the UFC. Yeah. And uh, we just happened just not to hit each other up. And so it just worked out that way. And sometimes when you have somebody of his name and ability, they only match us up if it's going to be a main event type situation. And so uh, here's uh, we're both in a line. And uh, even though technically I'm coming off of a loss with Andre, I don't feel it was a loss, and I and the UFC, I guess, uh, probably, you know, well, you know, Dana went out and tweeted what he thought of the fight, is in the same uh, thought pattern, and so uh, both of us right now, I think, are, would be a huge draw. We both, uh, you know, have some fans that want to see us do well and and win, and uh, uh, both of us are just, you know, now on a collision course for uh, March nineteenth. Mark Hunt throughout his career has been susceptible to the submission. One, two, three, four, five. Is that right? Or six? Uh, so that's uh, that's something that uh, comes to mind, Frank, in terms of you know thinking about how your individual skill sets could match up. Um, he's he's a uh, very proficient kickboxer. He's got a difficult uh, a takedown defense to navigate, as you pointed out. But uh, once he does get down to the ground, uh, six. Uh, ten losses on his MMA record, and six of those have come by submission. You've had one or two submissions in your career. Yeah, That's just something that comes to mind. Yeah, I've, I've known to dabble. A little You've bit. dabbled in submissions, <laughs> and so uh, absolutely, yeah. you know, obviously the fight we have to start at, you know, standing and facing each other, and you know, we go out there, and I feel very confident in my boxing now to go out there and yeah. move. It's not going to be a desperate shot. But uh, when I engage and I'm able to get the fight to the ground, uh, he is very hard to take down. But the, the great uh, thing that I have that I've really uh, you know, started coming back uh, full circle on is that I, getting the fight to the ground doesn't necessarily mean I have to be on top. You know, uh, pulling guard and half guard and some of the sweeps that I know how to do, I feel that if, you know, if right now you said, hey, we're going to start the fight and Mark's going to be in your guard, mm -hmm. uh, I feel very confident that I can win that fight by submission. And uh, so, I mean, it isn't necessarily a situation where, you know, he's very good at stopping the double leg and single leg takedowns you know he has a nice you know thick base and uh you know very powerful hips but that being said if i have to i can you know pull him right down you know and uh start working from the bottom and look for submissions or sweeps and uh do a little old school jujitsu now assuming that this is a headlining fight uh on the uh the fox sports one card that means it's going to be a five-round fight, right? So you Lots have of time um, to look for the submission. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it totally is. Now you would have. Uh, let's see. Your I guess you've trained, but uh, between the Duffy fight and then also the uh, Antonio Silva fight, 
both of those were headlining fights. So it kind of comes as a at a good time because two of the last three fights that you've had, uh, you've had to train for possible five-round fights, even yes. though both of those fights ended favorably in the first round for you, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, really honestly, you know, fighting three and five rounds – the preparation for them is just a little bit more time to ramp up. As long as you have enough time and we both are going to have plenty of time to prepare for this fight, it's not an issue. The only time it starts becoming is, uh, you know, you get a short notice fight and you're going to turn around and take it in six weeks. Mm -hmm. Fighting five rounds, unless you're consistently always in great shape, uh, is going to be very difficult. So as long as we have enough time, really, you know, it just means that instead of a camp, you know, starting, really, honestly, the biggest difference for me is uh, five-round fights I like to do a 10-week camp for, and eight uh, three-round fights I do eight weeks that I'm, mm. you know, really going yeah. hard. And so you add the extra two weeks to go ahead and give yourself time to ramp on that extra two rounds. Yeah. What What do you think, you know, because when, when I look at Mark Hunt's uh, record, and review it. Of course, he he made quick work of of uh, Bigfoot Silva in their rematch here just uh, this past November. But that first fight, I mean, what a classic fight! The five round war uh, that everyone remembers. I mean, a lot of people believe that was one of the greatest UFC heavyweight fights of all time. What do you think the closest is you? Because as I'm thinking back over your career, I don't think I've ever seen you in a fight that was quite like that where it was just you know the 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 fifth round is over and two guys just bloody battered hanging on each other and you know you're you're nobody's mad when the fight ends in a draw what do you think the closest is you've ever come to a fight like that um i really don't know um uh that's and i think the reason why it's such a hard question to answer is because that is in the head a lot and you don't remember (laughs) that doesn't help but uh that that fight that Hunt had with uh, Silva, that's a rarity in the heavyweight division. Most heavyweights don't have fights that way. Yeah, um, Fights very rarely go back and forth over a distance of five rounds. That's why that fight was so special mm-hmm. and such a phenomenal fight in the first place because that is a very hard thing to ask of two hard-hitting uh, heavyweights to go back and forth for 25 minutes. Usually, you know, you'll have fights. I've had fights where, you know, uh, guys have started to come back and then you put them away or you come back Mm -hmm. from behind. But usually uh, once I get a hold of something, you know, one fight that comes to mind is when I fought Noguera the second time. There was a fight that, you know, he started out winning and doing very well and I was able to come back from behind and even won, you know, that year comeback of the year award Mm -hmm. for coming back and submitting him so definitively. Um, so as far as the back and forth and not putting somebody away and that draw, I've never had a battle like that. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, you know, uh, there's, you know, if I battle that hard and I'm able to come out, you know, I come out the victorious individual or, you know, never given the opportunity of the guys able to win before I'm able to do so. And so, uh, th- that is, uh, a great fight, you know? The- yeah. And it's gotta have something to do with the weight class too, like you just brought up, because I think, you know, obviously one of the reasons people like watching the heavyweights is, you know, one punch really can end it all. Well, and we I have think the highest knockout percentage of all the weight. Well, classes. totally. And then I also think that if you're looking at fights that go to decision, a lot of times, you know, let's say it's, uh, uh, you know, you and Cormier or you and, uh, 
uh, Crow Cop, that there's a there's a real strategic conundrum that comes up in the fight. You know, you're seeing the blueprint of it emerge, and you're going, right. okay, you know, Cormier's leaning on him against the cage. You know, Frank's got to reverse it, whatever. But it's not. Yeah. But it's not this this back and forth. There's a narrative that starts to emerge because, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think what you're saying is in that Hunt uh, Silva scenario, what made it so unique is that usually when guys are trading bombs like that, somebody's going to sleep right. before 25 minutes. Well, and, and actually the Crow Cop fight is a, is a great example to bring up as far as we were going into the third round and it was I was winning on the scorecards because I was landing more on our feet, but I never was able to land anything definitive on him. I yep. never was able to finally catch him because he was being so elusive and then when he would try to counter back, I would avoid his counters. And so you had very much of a cat and mouse game. And then in the third round, he finally made a mistake and I was able to knock him out. The first time I actually was able to catch him with a good shot, the fight was over with. And that's usually how heavyweight fights will go. If they do get brought out to a cat and mouse game, uh, and they go the distance, it's because neither guy is really able to get off what he wants to, to happen. And in that fight with Hunt and Silva, both guys had opportunities in the fight where they got off and got the guy hurt and looked like it was going to be put away, and he was able to recover, come back, and put the other guy on his heels and look like he was going to come through victorious. Most of the time, heavyweight fights that look that way can tend to be a little bit on the boring side to some fans. I mean, of most recent memory, just a couple weeks back, would be uh, Dos Santos versus Overeem, where Overeem had a phenomenal game plan of not engaging uh, Dos Santos, making him chase him around instead of the opposite and, and not getting caught. And finally, when he uh, Dos Santos had a momentary lapse in his mindset, you know, out of frustration, uh, Overeem was able to catch him with that left hook, and then the fight was over. He was able to finish. That's more typical of a heavyweight fight to get strung out is because most of the time, because we generate so much power, once one guy does and is able to accomplish what he's been trying to accomplish, the other guy isn't going to be there anymore. The date is March 19th. The location is Brisbane, Australia. The network is Fox Sports 1. And the fight to see is our own Frank Mir taking on Mark Hunt in a top 10 heavyweight UFC attraction. Uh, we will obviously be talking more about that as the weeks progress and Frank is uh, in camp uh, to get ready to go to the land down under. This has been phone booth fighting breaking news. This was exciting. This was our first uh, bonus content breaking news that we got to do, Frank. I'm so, happy with it. I thought we knocked it out of the park. We'll have to see how the fans thought. I think we did. I think we, 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 we won tonight. Now all that's left uh, for you to do is to go out and win the fight. Yeah, that's the easy part, right? All right. We'll <laughs> talk about it after the, uh, the victory party. More next on Phone Booth Fighting. Welcome to another edition of Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly source of mixed martial arts conversation from the world of the UFC and beyond. Brought to you by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com and Trent Cotney. Check him out at trentcotney.com. I am your host, Richard Hunter, along with two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir. We're broadcasting from Mir Manor once again. Uh, first show of the new year, Frank. Uh, yeah. Happy New Year. How was the uh, holidays and Christmas and all that sort of thing? Last time I was here, 
which was just like, I don't know, a few weeks ago, there were presents everywhere, and there was a big tree everywhere, and there was all kinds of stuff going on. I see some of that is cleared out now, but in their, in their place, I walked past three of those hoverboards. Yes, we uh, one of the gifts that my wife uh, ordered for the kids uh, was those uh, the hoverboards. Uh-huh. Well, I guess they're called hoverboards, <laughs> the ones with the wheels. Yes. Uh, kind of a little bit of a... Uh, a misnaming of a uh, object, but uh, they're still in the boxes right now because honestly, uh, it's funny they got here and we had some friends come visit us right afterwards, stayed uh-huh. over the weekend, you know, four day weekend for the uh, New Year's, and they're like, "Oh, have you not been paying attention about those in the news?" and Sure enough, the wife and I start Googling, and yeah. next thing you know, I'm like, kids, they don't come out of the box. I think we're going to return them. But then my oldest now has been on the end line going, no, 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 Dad. It's, it's she's, just, she's mounting a uh, counter argument. It's just the yeah. batteries. If we buy yeah. better batteries, it's the lithium batteries. They, there was so much of a demand for them that they came out with cheap batteries just to yeah. load everybody up. That's the problem. I'm like, all right. So now uh, I'm into more of an investment into these things, which uh, all that stuff scares me. If you're if you want to be an athlete uh the extreme sports uh scare me you know uh, yeah. skateboarding bmxing going through all the half pipe stuff i don't know anybody who's good at that that hasn't broken wrists ankles elbows i haven't met anybody with any kind of proficiency that isn't injured from that i'm like it's a board with wheels and now these things i'm looking at i'm like ah oh, that's a trip to the emergency room i know it is yeah no question you know i used to uh for for years i would go out and cover the x games as part of my radio show and you know they have the the summer x games uh, they have those in in los angeles a lot and then they have winter x in uh usually in colorado and I would, uh, I would interview a lot of those um, uh, freestyle motocross guys, right? The right. ones that would, you know, they'd get on these icy embankments and fly, you know, yeah. 30 feet in the Crazy. air and do double, you know, loops and all this kind of stuff. And um, I remember I was talking to this one guy, Mike Metzger, who was uh, a very well-known uh, ex-gamer. And uh, he was not riding in that particular competition because of injury and i said uh well what happened with the injury and he said well i was doing an exhibition last week wherever he was and uh went up you know 30 feet in the air off the ramp and uh, i got separated from my motorcycle so the motorcycle uh he was supposed to stay on it obviously and do a clean landing that didn't happen the motorcycle uh, falls to the ground he is now free falling to the ground and uh, as fate would have it, he falls onto the foot peg of the motorcycle that is sticking straight up, and it impales. Please hurry up, tell me where to hit some, because my imagination is not doing me a service. It impales his scrotum. Oh, see, there you go. It was one of two areas I didn't want that thing to go, and that was probably one of them. <laughs> and it cost him a testicle. Oh, that's the thing. It's crazy. Like I'm good friends with TJ Lavin, who yes. Uh, is a very decorated X Games competitor. Uh-huh. Uh, the guy gets on a BMX, and, I, and he's a, he's an avid fan of martial arts. He, you know, pretty good little jiu-jitsu guy himself. Uh, can do some stuff. And it's funny because anytime we all get together, there's been times where, you know, uh, Ricky, you know, so avid, you know, good at you know jumping on the the, the uh, those uh, the bossy balls and, and doing backflips. Mm-hmm. And if anybody knows what I'm talking about, put in Ricky Lindell and backflips, and you'll see some of the crazy stuff the guy can do on that. Just look at his Instagram, yeah. that Ricky Lindell. He, he films all of it. Yeah, and sure enough, incredible. without any warm-up or anything, TJ is willing to just throw his body at this thing. And yeah. at one point, I thought we killed him because I'm watching, and he jumps 
because Ricky's able to run at it, jump, sit on it, do a backflip through the air and land on his feet on it. And, and Lavin, yeah. who's like, well, I can do a backflip 30 feet in the air on a bike. Why couldn't I do it here? Uh-huh. And he just, with unabandoned, just throws himself at it, lands on the side of his neck, kind of like a Fedor when he got suplexed by... Uh, Kevin Randleman? Kevin Randleman. Yeah. Where as it happens, I'm like, oh, my brain goes, okay, do we leave the body here? Do we just leave? <laughs> yeah. Like, are they going to believe me that we're on a mat and this guy broke his neck this way? You know, yeah. like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't like being around people who break bones. I end up yeah. somehow the blame comes my way. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it's funny because I sit there and if you we all sit, get around and when people like I you know you know still to this day when I meet you know people talk to me like oh you know what do you do for a living and uh, you know we'll sit there and talk and it'd be funny if you sat there and if TJ and I were to sit there and talk about injuries yeah uh, you would think that being a fighter would be more. Uh, scary and, and more injury incurring of a, an endeavor and it's not I mean the, no one in so far in the UFC has ever passed away right during a fight um, or, or even in training that I'm aware of I've, mm-hmm. I've heard of a few stories here and there like some guy down in Texas yeah. but it's always and, uh, and by the way that's what makes the uh, bobble head chant uh, in in Portuguese the emptiest threat in all of MMA yes they've chanted it thousands of times it's never happened once no. uh, a more appropriate uh, taunt would be whatever is Portuguese for you're likely to lose a close decision on the scorecards <laughs> gonna get uh screwed on the scorecards right. <laughs> continue you were saying yeah. you were saying. so that being you know yeah. said you know uh, uh there are people i mean it's i'll sit there i remember i lost a sponsorship and i don't want to throw anybody under the bus but i went and sat down with a, a company and uh they i sat and spoke to them and then uh they got back to me and basically explained that uh that I was, it was too scary of a sport, or you know, mm. you know, they didn't mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. have that on their 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 image. Yeah, and they went with somebody that was more along the lines of uh, stunt planes and, and does wow you know, those type of things. So yeah. I'm sitting there, and in my brain, I'm like, I, I think I just read that two guys in Reno just died at the last yeah. Red Bull event. Yeah. Um, you know, snowboarding, you know, people pass away. Uh, my wife, we watched a, a documentary where this this guy severe uh, life-altering head injury from snowboarding Mm -hmm. Mm. and then his girlfriend who's also in the same sport later on within two years or so uh, maybe messing up the details but she passed away also on the snowboard half pipe went up in the air came down on the you know her head the wrong way and and i'm not taking away from anybody that loves to do these things i mean obviously you know everybody knows the risk but to me i just find it humorous you know when individuals sit there go oh my gosh aren't you scared to fight i'm like you ski right yeah you'll put you'll stand on two sticks and slide down a mountain going 50 miles an hour and you're gonna ask me if i'm scared to fight yeah no one's passed away getting punched in the ring yet you know the octagon right. uh, um <laughs> people die all the time well, flying down a mountain that's true and even in the case of of broken bones uh you know not the freak stuff withstanding i mean not like the the anderson silva femur break with with chris Corey weidman Hill, yeah. right but but with uh, with with the bone breaks more like what you've been associated with, that opponent had the opportunity yes. to get out prior to that. I mean, it is a snap quick right. decision. No, you're but, right. If you look at most of the broken bones, they were preventable in our sport. It's kind of like, well, you had the opportunity to yeah. say stop. Whereas if I fly down up off of a, a hill and I my feet come off the peg, I can't sit there and go time out. 
You're, I, I you're, tap. You're not going to miss Gravity the ground. Gravity isn't going to go ahead and let me no. have a second chance. <laughs> no. It isn't like, well, I'm going to go ahead and take this hit and show my manhood. It's like, well, right. you don't have a choice. Right. You went up and you will be coming down. Yes, that's right. That's what you get for k- competing in the uh, Sir Isaac Newton Classic. Right. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, in fact, uh, uh, TJ, in his last event here in town in Vegas, the Mountain, Bo- uh, Mountain Dew uh, uh Oh, the do tour, yes. like they do, yeah. He received a major. I was at the hospital, you know, uh, yeah. you know. My wife and I went there to go see him in the accident, and and just the week before, one of his close friends that, that I'm not, you know, uh, I didn't know personally, uh-huh. uh, received a life altering head injury where he's, you know, his friend, you know, will live with his parents for the rest of his life. Oh, wow. He cannot take care of himself anymore. And I thought that was going to happen to TJ because he was, you know, in a coma for a couple of days. And, you know, when he first woke up, he wasn't TJ anymore. Yeah. You know, there was it, it. It was very touch and go there for a couple of weeks until he he got back. And in fact, even staring at him, there was a couple of times with my wife. You know, we, we, you know, it brings up the honest conversation and be like, wow, you know, if if that ever happened to you, you know, what would you do, or mm-hmm. how would you do this? To where I went and got a trust and set up to where if I wasn't in the mental capacity to make my own decisions, I've made them already for myself. So not to put that upon my loved ones. Yeah. And I haven't had that thought ever brought up to me uh, cave side. Yeah. They've always been brought up as far as I watch some of the other sports out there. I mean, and we're not even talking about NASCAR or any other ones where yeah. it's, you know, the danger, you know, what is the, uh, the, uh, indie racing that that thing, some of those, th- Oh, uh, IndyCar with the, IndyCar. where they're exposed, yes, uh, going, their head sticking out the of the acceleration car. Acceleration yeah, on exactly. those things is unreal. Oh, it is. One mistake. And, and, and so, you know, again, I'm not down on those sports, but when people try to put things in perspective, you know, in New York, for example, won't legalize yeah. MMA because it's brutal. I'm like, yeah. what are you watching that I'm not seeing? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it also helps that it is, it's, it's mano a mano versus as opposed to you versus the wall or right. you, like you said, you versus gravity. Yeah, humans, because, we generally just, yeah. you know, for a long time now, we've kind of evolved into what we are now, you know, great, you know, uh, powers of mind uh, we have. But as far as physical output, we don't generate enough energy really to do some of the damage that you know, a guy gets on a bicycle, even a Tour de France. People have passed away on their 10 speed, you know, because yeah. they're, they're able to build up to 60 miles an hour. They're going and, you know, you got a guy who weighs 175 pounds. Uh, he crashes and lands wrong. The kind of energies that he's generating going 60 miles an hour, you know, mass times acceleration or the velocity he, he has, we can't generate that kind of energy mm-hmm. in our sport. You know, I don't, so uh, safety, that's again, like I said, where every time New York sits there and goes, oh, I'm going to ban this. I'm like, do you guys allow uh, uh, the, the, the 10 speed races, you know, because that's pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure it is. Well, uh, speaking of uh, not, well, not necessarily dangerous, but uh, certainly brutal, uh, that was this past weekend at UFC 195 uh, here in Las Vegas, headlined by uh, our own Ricky Lundell's fighter, uh, Carlos Condit, getting his shot at the welterweight title that is held and still held, there's a spoiler in case you didn't see the fights this weekend, by uh, Robbie Lawler, but Condit did not make it easy on him. It was, to my estimation, one of the greatest uh, fights in UFC welterweight history, certainly UFC welterweight title history. UFC 195 was one for the ages, and Frank and I will talk about it next on Phone Booth Fighting. 
Welcome back to Phone Booth Fighting. We're talking mixed martial arts with the two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir and myself, Richard Hunter, Ricky Lundell. Uh, just got done coaching Carlos Condit to a near-title victory, Frank, this past weekend here in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, headlining UFC 195, and uh, it's there. I know I uh, I talked to Ricky earlier in the week, and he wanted to save up everything he had to say for the podcast. So we'll, I figured uh, that might be just him by himself talking because he has a lot to go he, on now. he has a lot to say about it and uh i assume uh, maybe next week we'll, we'll get into all that with him but um carlos got the uh the welterweight title shot this past weekend against robbie lawler and uh it ends up being a split decision 48 47 uh across the board uh judge tony Weeks scored it 48 47 for carlos condit and the other two judges 48 47 for robbie lawler uh, I had it 48-47 for Carlos Condit. I gave him rounds one, three, and five. Uh, one, four. one, three, and four. Thank you. Yeah, because you, you probably uh, you may know exactly where I'm going with this. No, absolutely. But yeah, one, three, and four. And to me, round three was the debatable one. That was the one where it was either, as a judge, you appreciated Carlos Condit's output more. Or you maybe appreciated some of the harder shots that Robbie Lawler landed. Right. What do you think? Well, you know, I agree with you. I think it's just hard. And, again, it comes down to the third round because of what do you give more? A guy that throws three, four, five strikes, and the other guy just throws one. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if the other guy is just pitter-pattering, they don't count. But I thought that, you know, try, uh, Carlos was doing great combinations, uh, throwing, you know, not every shot has to try to take your head off and working and, and doing angles and, and movement. And he ha he's a different kind of athlete than uh, Robbie Lawler yeah. and Robbie Lawler. I like, you know, he sits there, conserves and looks for the right time to throw the right shot. I do think that he needs to add a little bit to his game to eliminate this factor of uh, it's funny because now that I hang out in boxing gym so much, it's a very much of a, a prevalent concept in boxing that I hear amongst all styles of boxing. I mean, you might have, I mean, that's the thing, you know, when it comes to jujitsu, wrestling, Muay Thai, you can't just sit there and go, well, I'm a boxer. You know, boxing itself has, you have boxer punchers, you have counter guys, you have, you know, guy, you know guys that are uh, pure sluggers. You have so many different variations of boxing, but almost all the different coaches agree with the fact that, well, not every punch is designed to take someone's head off. Yeah. You know, you, you know, if I'm going to throw a jab at you, I can't, the, the best way to relate it is that you know if i can you know i'm in baseball and i can throw 98 mile an hour fastball mm -hmm. that's great but if all i ever do is throw a 98 mile an hour fastball you know maybe the first couple guys might go down to it but everybody's going to make that adjustment and their timing and they're going to start hitting it out of the park so you have to throw change-ups off speed off rhythm and so when you throw a lot of uh, punches i think robbie can still keep up his attitude and, and mindset of throwing such vicious shots but i think adding a more flickering jab to kind of you know and, and more combinations to add on to the repertoire that he already has would would take away some of these last couple fights he's had close decisions um whereas now he's more active sometimes he sits there and doesn't do anything he just kind of you know and it looks bad i think to the fans to the judges and that's why most people from that i've spoken to and read felt that carlos did pull off the victory because of the lack of activity also on 
Robbie's part that just not throwing. There's times where you know I've I've watched him in fights where the other guy, you know, uh, Johnny Hendricks, you know, there was a couple times in their fight where you know he throws combination after combination. You know, Hendricks would throw a you know a cross hook cross inside leg kick or outside leg kick, and he's exploding uh you know uh, Lawler's leg up and Lawler's not doing anything. But then all of a sudden there's 20 seconds left and then he would go for broke and it'd be a very vicious attack on Robbie's part but then it just it really makes it so much on the wire that you sit there and go well are we going to count that more or do we count this more and I think that Robbie if he just added a little bit more to where when guys were throwing just start using his jab more you know yeah. throw a jab out there you know and boom boom throw two out there so that he just doesn't have that lack of activity because the the fact that sometimes I mean I, there was times I watch a fight I'm like man I think it's been 90 seconds since I've seen Robbie even attempt to throw a punch yeah it looks bad on the judges scorecards I, I feel it does and you know i felt that uh you know obviously our close decisions can go either way and you know he was uh, the benefit of this one last saturday but it easily could have went the other way i don't think people would have argued that if condit would have had his hand raised no and even the uh, the fight before last um when he was fighting with uh, um um, his last opponent, Roy McDonald. Roy McDonald. He was losing on the judges' scorecard because yep. of his lack of activity. There's times where McDonald was just throwing more and landing more, and um, you know Robbie would come back and throw vicious shots, and ended up helping him win the fight that he, he was able to so viciously knock him out in the fifth round, mm -hmm. hit him with that straight left that broke his orbital, and you know again came out in this round very hard in the fifth round and and, and won. But I don't know. I think it's kind of a, a dangerous. Uh, precedence to set with judges they can't have it to where a fighters because look look at it right now every time there's a way to win as a fighter we sit there and we watch all of us our camps our coaches our trainers going oh so they're judging that that's why for a while there it became like the ultimate takedown championships because we started watching that like wow you could be getting your butt handed to you and if you land a takedown the judges will give you the round. Wow, that's amazing. So then everybody started fighting that way and it hurt the fans. And now you're starting to see where a guy can go ahead and be losing a close round, not even a close round, but let's say, you know, he's, he's losing the round. I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's a 10-8 round, but you've, you're losing this round. And then 15 seconds left, you do something that looks amazing and dangerous and then they give the guy the round. I'm like, well, the other guy did the same thing, but he did it at minute two in the fight. He threw a great combination, you know, like even Carlos Gondot. At one point, I think he threw 12 strikes, landed great, ba 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 ba. But because they weren't thrown maybe at the end of the round, it wasn't come, the last thing right. that the judges. So this remembered. whole concept of well, he stole yeah. the round. Yeah, I'm like, I don't agree with that because then that tells me that so my work output is more valued at the end of a round than it is mm -hmm. during the middle or the, so you know what's going to end up happening is guys are going to start stalling yeah pacing themselves going hey when i hear 30 seconds is when i'm going to go i'm like so what are you going to do for four and a half minutes well if my guy gives me something i'll take advantage of it but if not i'm not going to do nothing to expose myself because here's what will happen you and i are fighting let's say i come after you and, I, and at the two and a half minute mark there's 30 seconds where i'm kicking your butt and you survive it. You get up and you're able to scramble away. Then now at four and a half minutes, you start kicking my butt. The bell rings. It's over with. Because I'm a little tired now because I exerted myself at the two and a half minute mark. Now you're reloaded and you come after me. So now the judges look at it and go, okay, well, you know, Richard's winning. I'm like, why? We yeah. both had good moments in the fight. But yeah, but the last thing we saw was Richard's. I'm like, oh, okay. So now I know as a fighter, 
don't exert myself early on because you guys forget. You guys have short memories. Yeah. I'll make sure I'm the last thing you guys see. That is famously the game plan that Sugar Ray Leonard used to beat Marvin Hagler. Uh, his uh, trainer, uh, Angelo Dundee, would tell him, uh, Ray Leonard said to him, tell me, you know, yell at me every round when there's 30 seconds left. And he was yelling it because, you know, you get the sticks anyway at 10 yeah. seconds, right? But he was yelling a 30-second cue, and then he would flurry at the end of the rounds. And that was uh, that was his strategy for beating Marvin Hagler. And so in boxing, a three-minute yeah. round, that's not quite as bad. And I've had heard that before, too. And I think that even yeah. started with Muhammad Ali. Made that transition when he first came back out of you know prison. You know, the guy's now in his 30s. He started saying that. He goes, well, I'll win the first 30 seconds of a round, and I'll win the last 30 seconds of a round. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, that still means you're fighting one minute out of a three-minute round and you're basically choosing what you're going to see but the problem that that doesn't correlate over is great to mma especially for fans who if we don't have fans we don't have a sport at the end of yeah. the day rules have to make for aggression you watch any sport and if they're not aggressive um it's not favorable to watch i mean you watch even collegiate wrestling you know why i enjoy watching it you take one step back on the mat they'll start calling you for stalling mm -hmm. guy starts clinching with you and you walk backwards you're in trouble. So you have to drive forward or, you know, you can circle, but there is no fleeing the mat type of attitude. And now with this type of president starting to be set in some of these decisions, I'm like, we're going to start having guys just pacing themselves for four minutes. And four minutes is a long time to watch guys not engage or yeah. one guy trying to make a guy engage and the other guy not really. Well, fortunately, uh, at least as was the case Saturday night, uh, it, it was the the prototype of of a fan favorite that fight was so compelling and what i loved about it frank was that the outcome was really in question you know i i i uh, i asked robbie lawler about the fact that he's been involved in these three uh classic fights within really just the last couple of years i mean this one with condit the one with mcdonald where he finished him but then also the the first johnny hendricks fight where he uh, lawler lost the decision and i asked him about that fifth round i said you know in in each of these the fifth round was so important you you uh lost the fifth to hendricks and in my opinion that's how he lost the fight then he learned from that then he was behind on the scorecards, as you pointed out, to Lawler or to uh, uh, McDonnell, and he stepped on the gas in the fifth and finished him. And then in this fight, I believed it was even going into the fifth round, and he wasn't able to finish Carlos Condit, but he won that fifth round decisively. You know, clearly, uh, he is at least very cognizant of the fact that these fifth rounds seem to matter in these these classic wars that he gets involved yes. in. And uh, if he learned anything from that first Hendricks fight, it was uh, uh, not to ease up even a little bit going into that fifth round. Absolutely. And again, I don't ever blame the fighters for taking advantage of what they see is a scoring criteria. It just, mm -hmm. you know, we're all uh, competitors and we want to win. And obviously winning by knockout or submission is, is the utmost uh, favorable uh, uh line of uh, strategy that we're all going to try to go that's the path if i can finish my guy all that much better but if we're not then it's like okay well what style of fighting is going to enable me to incur points that as long as i'm out there engaging looking for submission looking for a knockout i'm also at the end if i just the way i look at it is if i run out of time and don't knock you out or submit you the judges are going to give me the nod and um that's why you know again like you know when people sit there and go oh you know i remember for a while there was a quote you know greg jackson's ruining mma i'm like no 
He's just looking at the scoring system and going, well, this is the path to victory. So to me, it always falls back on it's the judges. I'm like, you can't get ever mad at an individual for taking advantage of what's given to them. You have to go upon what the judges are doing, and that's what the fighters are going to fight like. Coming up next, let's talk about whether or not there should be a rematch, and if not, then who should get the next welterweight title shot? We'll do it next on Phone Booth Fighting. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, brought to you by Real Water and TrentCotney.com. Follow us on social media, Instagram at Phone Booth Fighting and on Twitter at Phone Booth Fight. We are available as a weekly podcast in additional to uh, being a terrestrial radio broadcasting experience. So if you're listening to us in the Las Vegas and Reno markets, hello, good to have you along. But if you like to DVR your radio shows and uh, do it podcast style, all you have to do is go to iTunes, look up Phone Booth Fighting, or go to phoneboothfighting.com, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll keep them coming to you. Uh, we'll see, Frank, uh, how long it takes us to get into the new year before we beat the all-time most listened-to episode of Phil Baroni and uh, his chronicles of uh, being a, a, a naked, rabid fighter uh, at uh, the old Mark, uh, the old Mark Lehman gym, right? Uh, absolutely, definitely an image that um, drew a lot of attention. That's right. We're going to call that the Baroni spike because when you look at the stats, when I log into the website, you can see like you know people listening, downloading, subscribing, and there's a spike. When Phil came on, it was just, it's like it looks like a uh, a peak, you know, like an iceberg or something. So uh, that's got to be our New Year's resolution: is to uh, have at least another one of those. I'm sure. I'm sure we will. We got to, we got 52 shots at it, and uh, we're having. We that's right. That. I'm confident we can do it. Uh, do it as well. All right. So we're talking about UFC 195. Went down this past weekend, and uh, Carlos Condit comes up just a tad short against Robbie Lawler. Uh, Carlos in the post fight press conference started talking about considering retirement. And it was something, it was interesting the way that it came up. Um, I'd heard some rumors about this, but uh, Dana comes out before Carlos had finished his medicals. The press conference starts, and Dana uh, allowed to the media that that was something Carlos was talking about in the back. So by the time Carlos himself got to the dais, that was obviously the first question uh, everybody had for him. Uh did that surprise you at all that he was kind of uh, he's at this point in his career that seems to be at least something he's considering? Well, I mean, I think the guy's kind of, uh, you know, he's not a tweener. You know, Carlos, I think, is in a perfect weight class. and He's a great martial yeah. artist. I think when you're disappointed at times with yourself, especially, I mean, my last fight with Andre, I was very disappointed with how the judges go. And mm -hmm. you get mad at yourself. You sit there and go, what well, could I have controlled? to make it not go this way. But then I can understand too, you know, some guys, uh, they feel like they just, when they hit a, a limit that they can't continue more, you know, and Carlos is a husband and he's a father. And so, you know, being a professional fighter uh, and fighting at the level that Carlos and, and the rest of the high level UFC fighters fight at is very much of a time consuming uh, commitment. Uh, it, it consumes your whole life. So when you sit there and sometimes you, you look at the amount of work to put into it and if to come up short now uh, on the title shots, you know, uh, it throws you, you know, it can, it can make it to where you're discouraged. And so I think that uh, a lot of times, you know, I, I typically don't listen to anybody for 48 hours after a fight. Mm -hmm. I just kind of figure that like, look, emotions are running high right now. We're angry. We're excited. You know, who knows what's going on. And so, uh, you know, when Carlos comes to the back, the decision is something that he was probably not very happy with. He's looking at all the time and effort and, and, and time away from the children, yeah. you know, missed events with the wife and, uh, you know, the, the physical pain 
pain and, and of draw dragging your body through a, a camp and to come up and have it taken away from you and his eyes from you know by the judges um, I can see that being something that he would be thinking and and you don't sit there and if I was in his corner I, I don't you know come on you're being silly you know you validate what the guys are thinking all right man you know hey why don't you go home spend some time with the wife and kids reevaluate things and let's talk in a week and that's when we really find out about like what you're thinking about you know do you really want to because you know, then that can start coming in being the voice of reason like hey Carlos you're not 40 yet <laughs> yeah well um, no that's it but see that's interesting thing is he's he's a young man I mean he's still in his very early 30s but he's had like 40 fights no he has had a lot yeah but I would sit there and I have to be okay what are our reasons for wanting to retire yeah is are are you injured is there something that you feel that you know that is going to cause you detriment to the quality of life you're going to have post uh, fight career then well then yes now retirement's a consideration you know uh, if you've lacked the motivation to get in there and train and prepare for fights um, that could be something well we don't want you to get hurt if you're mm -hmm. not going to come in here and take this seriously it could you know lead to you know some injuries that could you know uh, you know cause you issues as you get older and so um, I think that most guys just you know you just kind of have to like you know, realize this though once you retire I mean, and obviously, I mean, I say that, but you can always come back out of retirement. Guys have done that. I mean, in all, you know, the major sports, retire, take a year off, get the bug back and come back. But um, life after retirement, that's, you know, the rest of your life. Uh, that's the way I look at it. That's why whenever anybody has ever posed the question to me, I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to draw this thing out. And, you know, basically it's like, hey, this is the only car I'm ever going to have. When are you going to? give it up i'm like mm, i'm not i'm gonna drive this thing until the wheels fall off and yeah. if i gotta duct tape the hood down we're, we're going man i'm gonna because, drive until i lose my license yeah because <laughs> i like to fight and i'm yeah. carlos likes to fight yeah and so retiring it's like well then you don't get to fight no more you know that right like yeah. you know the ufc it's not like you're gonna sit there well i'm just gonna retire from the ufc and then i'm still gonna do you know every six months i'll jump on a weekend tournament and go you know fight some guys it's like well, they're probably not going to let you do that. You're under contract. If you retire and you want to come back, you got to jump right back in with these guys. Yeah. Um, so unless you don't want to compete anymore at MMA, uh, you know, that's why I feel that retirement is very hard. And my wife and I have even talked about that. Like, you know, she's like, what are you going to do when you retire? I'm like, okay, there'll be a day that my body can't keep up with, you know, the top 10 guys in, in, in the world in the heavyweight class of UFC. It doesn't mean I'm not a fighter anymore. It doesn't mean I'm not a competitor. It just means that eventually the, the thing that beats all men and women of father time is going to come knock on the door. But then I'm going to transition. To, there's, you know, the, the ISPIS, you know, uh, uh, range, you know, firearms. And there's different competitions I look at. I'm like, oh, you know, the three-gun cowboy style fight, you know, uh, shooting. You know, even my brain already has uh, – contingency plans for when fighting is no longer valid that I'm like, well, I have to still compete. I like going out there. I like that adrenaline rush. Mm -hmm. What can I do to make sure I fulfill this? Cause I don't want to be that, you know, cause there's a lot of guys out there. You can't t make a warrior, not be a warrior anymore. You take that away from guys. Why do you think so many guys when they first come over from overseas or, you know, a long stint of military, you know, duty and they're active and, you know, they're, you know, adrenaline pumped mm -hmm. and they come back. It's like, all right, well now you're just going to, you know, uh, you know, you got to take the kids to drop them off at school. You're going to, you know, go do your nine to five job. And, and, you know, you take out that uh, ability to compete, 
you know, go out there and, and hunt, mm-hmm. and then they, they, you know, they have issues on top of other issues. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say I know the whole story of how it goes, but you have to give men outlets to do things. And look, I mean, sports is enjoyable. Competing is fun. I mean, go on any, uh, you know, uh, outdoor park in, in America. You'll see kids out there and, and people that are able to run around and they're happy. I think that when you put a person on a couch and you don't allow them to move around and, and be active and compete, I think that's why a lot of people are depressed and upset, and it's a very uh, sad life. Well, if I have any say in it, Carlos Condit is not retiring. In fact, no. not only is he not retiring, but I'm going to insist that he do this all over again in yeah. July. Uh, as soon as uh, we got into the media room, uh, John Morgan, the uh, lead reporter from uh, MMAJunkie.com, who you always see wearing the, uh, the blue shirt, he's usually right up on the front row of uh, media row. Pretty much one of everybody's favorites. Absolutely. Great guy. Great guy. Fellow Texan. Uh, we actually both come from, from Dallas originally. He came running up to me with his uh, his Zoom recorder, the same thing we use to record our, our podcast. He said, hey, can I talk to you for a second for my podcast? He does a great podcast called MMA Roadshow. We got to get him. Though. We got a cross-reference here. A oh, bit. he'll do it. No, yeah, we'll get him on. John and then also yeah. the guy we got to get to, not to throw you too far off. Yeah. We still got to call Chael up. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, the great Chael and You guys Man. shared a flight the other day, and he was asking you. He hit you up for coming on to the podcast, yeah, right? I'm like, okay. absolutely. Talk okay. about a, a mind that I like to talk to I and know. pick. I mean, that guy is as sharp as they come in the world of MMA. For sure. We'll do it. So so John came up to me. He said, hey, would you, would you talk to me for a second? Give me your initial fight reaction for the uh, MMA Roadshow podcast. And I did. And we, we chatted. And I just said immediately, well, let's do this again. You know? Absolutely. And he's like, what about Tyron Woodley? And I said, this is tough for Tyron Woodley. Uh, and, and he's certainly deserving. And he's certainly been waiting in the wings. But to me... Uh, this fight sets up so perfectly to see it again. You've got, I believe that, you know, the old adage styles make fights. Uh, the, these same two styles will collide and I think create another compelling fight. Uh, we want to do it sooner than later. I mean, both guys are in their thirties. They're not in their twenties. Carlos was already talking about retirement. Let's go ahead and get it done. I thought it would be the perfect, at least co-headliner on UFC 200 in July, uh, when the UFC reaches their watershed moment and they do the big card at the new Las Vegas Event Center. And I say co-headliner because uh, I think they must have that main event spot reserved for uh, either uh, someone named Ronda Rousey or Conor McGregor. I now believe, uh, given the news of the last couple of days, that it's going to be Conor McGregor. That's my opinion. Because Ronda, it appears, is not going to be ready to fight she until later in the year. She Dana White said, today um on uh, ufc tonight that holly home will fight before she fights ronda rousey and that uh that ronda will fight this year but she's got a couple of movies to make first so let's take hmm. her off of the the That's board disappointing because i really was looking forward to seeing a i mean ufc 200 i felt yeah. deserves more than just the main and co-main event. I mean, we've done big cards already where both the main and co-main event are big, spectacular fights. Mm-hmm. So I felt that to step up the game for UFC 200, you know, another mile marker in the history of our sport, I felt that, you know, a McGregor versus Edgar, you know, having the Holly Holm versus, you know, Ronda Rousey, and then putting a fight like this on there, and then even another jumbo, you know, big fight. You know, yeah. I think having almost three or four, five titles on the line would be something to really just put everybody in awe of 
Wow. You no, know. no, listen, I'd like to see it too. I think for sure this fight has a spot on that card. Like I said, at least as a co-main. I think for for something of that caliber, and you know, we talked about the fact you were on you main evented UFC one hundred, which is is in many ways the all time uh, record holder for UFC events. Uh they're gonna wanna eclipse that with two hundred and they're going to need one of those names, I think either McGregor or Rousey in that main event slot, but something like what we saw Saturday night just sets up perfectly for a co-main. I think there's nothing wrong with doing something that you haven't seen before, like McGregor uh, uh, Edgar Frankie or Edgar. Yeah. or McGregor uh, Rafael dos Anjos if he moves up to lightweight for a title shot. But then do something. Excuse me. Then do something that you know is going to be good. And I'm talking about this fight. We oh, just absolutely. Saw this this one is weekend. definitely. Well, and Robbie and Connor, or excuse me, uh, and Carlos Condit. Yeah. Uh, neither one of them are ever in lackluster no. fights. No. Both of them, even though they have different styles, both yep. styles are fan favorable. They're both warriors that go out there and they have a different approach. But, man, each time, they're phenomenal to watch. That is my that is my UFC 200 wish uh, from uh, me to, to Dana White's ears. Hopefully he's one of our downloads this week. Uh, coming up next. Next, let's talk about the undercard, what happened at UFC 195, including some major movement in Frank's division, the heavyweight division, the big boys. We'll talk about it next on Phone Booth Fighting. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, your weekly dose of mixed martial arts talk with myself, Richard Hunter, two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir, and his head coach and coach to the UFC stars, Ricky Lundell. It's me and Frank this week broadcasting live from Mir Manor. You can follow us all on social media at the Frank Mir, at Richard Hunter, and at Ricky Lundell on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to the podcast by going to phoneboothfighting.com or uh, searching phone booth fighting in iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. That would be a huge help. Uh, maybe write us a little favorable review if you don't mind taking a second. But as I always say, the most important thing you can do for us is to tell a friend. Spread the word in 2016, and let's get uh, phone booth fighting uh, rocketing up the charts of MMA-related podcasts. All right, Frank, we were talking about UFC 195. Uh, this past weekend, I had a nice choice uh, cage side seat. And uh, by the way, I have to uh, I have to uh, thank uh, the uh, certain member of the UFC PR team because um, she uh, she goes and uh, my girlfriend Jennifer uh, gets her hair done at her salon, right? And Jennifer was so excited this past uh, weekend because, or this past week, because normally she didn't get to go to the fights. You know, it's I get a, a media credential. It's awesome because right. I sit cage side, but they don't give you, you know, tickets. I mean, fighters themselves sometimes have a hard yeah. time getting as many tickets as you need and stuff like that, no, no, right? No, most of the time I spend way more money. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to buy them, right? Oh, yeah, every time. so, so, um, Jennifer actually likes MMA. She never knew anything about it before we started dating, but she's taken to it very quickly. And, uh, you know, she uh, uh, likes being around it and, and, and knowing my friends and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, she enjoys the fights. We watch them, uh, you know, together whenever I'm not there alive. And so she was just going about her business, uh, doing her, uh, her client's hair there uh, this past week. And uh, one of the, the clients is, uh, like I said, one of the PR staff for uh, UFC. And uh, she just reached in her uh, purse and handed Jennifer a pair of tickets. That's said, hey, awesome. go have a good time. So it was very nice of her. So uh, it was ni nice to have her there to watch the fights. So um, the uh, the co-main 
was Stipe Miocic taking on Andre Arlovsky, the last guy you fought, Frank. And, uh, you know, the narrative of Andre Arlovsky going into this fight was the career resurgence. Uh, I mean, the exact same narrative uh, you 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 were you were having, and and when you and Arlovsky met, that was the thing. It was one and one a. That was the thing everybody you know was was talking about, loved about that matchup. Uh, in encountering Stipe Miocic, he's encountering a younger guy. He's encountering an up and coming guy, right. a guy who's top five ranked, but who you know the average UFC fan doesn't know the name. They see that name and they think he's Croatian or something. They're they're stunned when they find out he's from Cleveland. Well, <laughs> he is. Croatian. Well, he right? has the heritage. Yeah, right, but, right. But, but he's know, not Mirko. He's not from. Yeah, there's no accent. There's no, no, no. He's a firefighter. It's funny that being said, when he, I first yeah. saw him years back, when he first signed with the UFC, and I seen the name. Yeah. And I, you know, I saw him. We're in the back. We're on. You know, I think we're on the same Carter. We were both in the back where they signed the posters and whatnot. And I saw, St- you know, like, hey, how's it going? You know, you know, introduced myself. And uh, when he spoke back to me, I'm like, oh, oh, really? Oh, man, I, I really was expecting. I thought you were Croatian, like. Mirko Krokop Croatian, yeah, you know, yeah. not, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, he's Croatian, but, you know, born here in the U.S. Right, you know? right, yeah. And well, he uh, he made quick work of Andre, just uh, took him about a minute and uh, knocked Andre Orlovsky out in the first round. With that, I think Stipe Miocic definitively stakes his claim to uh, to get the winner of Cain Velasquez and Fabricio Verdum when they rematch for uh, Verdum's heavyweight title uh, next month, February 6th, right here in Las Vegas. Um, and uh, first of all, your thoughts on that performance while it lasted, Frank? Well, I thought it was, you know, obviously, I mean, there's nothing to say. Uh, Mirko, yeah. uh, Mirko. <laughs> we said it too many times. Stipe, now. yeah. Stipe did a great job. He came out there, you know, he hit him with the right hand, you know, right there on the button and caught him, and he just threw a very accurate shot. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of hard with uh, the heavyweight division. You'll look at guys, and here, you know, uh, I caught, you know, uh, Andre with some good shots. Travis caught him with some good shots, and, you know, he's able to survive them, and then here Stipe catches when he does it, he puts him away and you know uh, I mean heck back before Andre first re-signed with uh, the UFC he even fought Anthony Johnson at heavyweight and Anthony being you know 235 pounds 40 pounds yep. for that fight hit him so hard he broke his jaw mm-hmm. in the first round and and Andre he still didn't put Andre away and, you know Anthony Johnson probably hits as hard if not harder than any heavyweight you want to put out there I'm like okay uh, a 230 pound version of uh, Anthony Johnson mm-hmm. um, we're going to be really splitting hairs to see if anybody in the heavyweight division hits harder than he does yeah and so uh, there you go he survived the punches from him and then now Steve they hit him with the right hand and it put him down and was able to finish him so uh, sometimes with those little gloves it's not so much you know how hard you hit but just right where you put the shot and he, he caught him great he did a you know, great job of putting him out and finishing him and uh, he definitely puts himself up there for who I think is a very intelligent for the hardcore fans on who gets the next title shot the only problem is is that you still have you know uh, Overeem out there who's coming off a very decisive win over uh, JDS, yeah. So he just knocked out a higher, more highly touted opponent uh, than you know Andre as far as where the rankings go, and uh, you know uh, Overeem probably still has a little bit more of a name recognition. I mean, not probably he does. So I think it kind of depends on who wins the fight. If I think that uh, if you ask me who's going to get the next title shot, I think that if Verdum is come victorious and defends his title because he has history. He split fights with uh, Alistair one and one in their past uh, 
outings. You know, the first time they face each other, he armbarred Alistair. The mm-hmm. second time they face each other, Alistair was able to win on a decision. No, oh, so I was I th- at that fight. It was horrible. That right. was that strike force fight. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it still makes, I think, a narrative. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, um, you know, I think that Alistair still sells a lot of tickets. So I don't think it's going to be, if I was uh, Stipe, I would be trying to do my social media. I think that he's yeah. done everything possible and everything he should do inside the octagon. He is a great fighter, and I think that he's very deserving of a shot. The only problem is is that at the end of the day, it's still an entertainment sport, and uh, you got to put a little McGregor, a little Chael Sonnen on top of there. Not so much he has to create a persona. I don't want to see any uh, Ben Rothwell post-fight interviews. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you have to generate some interest. Yeah. I think you have to make it to where people want to know who Stipe is. I mean, the guy's been very successful and, and ha- has had a great career now in the UFC, and he's still relatively unknown to the general fan. And I think it's not because his fights his fights are exciting. It's because of what he does outside. I mean, I think Dana even said it best. Until the fans know who you are, you're not getting a title shot. He said that a, a couple months back. And I, I kind of feel he's still stuck there. It's like, look, man, get with a better PR into, you know, group. Yeah. Your management needs to pull somebody on or you need to find a new manager, whatever you need to do to get people to know who you are. You know, get out there and create an interest in you. Um, otherwise, yeah, you're right. S- technically, you are the, uh, the next successor in line. But, I mean, heck, this is the UFC. They don't follow any mathematical. They're not bound by any, well, the number two guy has to fight the number one guy. Right. No, I mean, right now, I mean, I could make an argument for why Nate Diaz might get a shot at Conor McGregor because yep. of his last fight, his personality, you know, outside the octagon and the way he backs it up inside the octagon. Um, he would be a very viable, like, you know, because at the end of the day, the UFC is going to look at it and go, okay, who's a great fighter and who's going to sell tickets at the same time? You could be the best fighter in the world, but if, you know, no one wants to watch you lose and no one cares if you win. That hurts your career. I completely agree with that. I think that, and I asked Stipe about this in the post-fight press conference because after he knocked out uh, Andre Olovsky this past weekend, he, you know, he was animated. He was screaming. He went over to the cage and he's screaming at Dana White. Right. You know, I want my title shot. Or you know, we on the same page here. I want this title shot, and that resonated. I mean, that was something that he got asked about repeatedly in the press conference. Yes. And, and it was no, that's a great move. And, and my question to him was, I said, "Are we going to see more of this from you?" You know, I'm not exactly. Saying, are you I'm, gonna? Yeah. You, you're excited. You did it after the fight, but are you going to stay relevant? Yeah. go out there are you going to be at signings are you going to be on your social media are you going to push the brand that's steepe you know yeah. are you going to make it to where you know people know who you are so that when they find out that you're fighting for the title people are like oh man i gotta they're, they're immediately gonna call their boss up and say i need this weekend yeah. and you know in two months i need it off honey we're gonna buy plane tickets we're gonna go see yep. Steve a fight yeah and right now i mean besides a few of us you know there's not enough of those individuals that's what's hurting them there's not enough people right now they find out that Steve is fighting for the heavyweight title are going to drop what they're doing and jump on it i mean look at the buying power of conor mcgregor that's why i mean you have a whole island of a whole nation of individuals that when they find out when mcgregor's fighting that's scratched off on the calendar i mean kids' birthdays and anniversaries <laughs> married to their wife yeah. might be getting pushed back yeah. so they can make sure they watch because not only does he perform in the octagon but he creates it to where people are attached 
and and relate to them. It doesn't have to be that people necessarily love you. Chael, or excuse me, uh, Connor's gone the route that he has. He's in, endeared to a whole nation of his, his countrymen. But yeah, Chael Sonnen, who went kind of the opposite direction. I mean, he went and basically was able to get title shots with Anderson Silva. The guy's a great fighter. You know, had the success inside the octagon, but really it was his personality outside the octagon that really sold and drove ticket sales. Mm-hmm. I'll go down to Brazil and I'm going to go there. And some of the interviews and things that he did. So it's still even though it was a different route it's still along the lines of when people found out Chael was fighting you know they I'm going to scratch that off on the uh, calendar because I'm going to watch this guy get stomped yeah I want to see him yeah. get hurt so there was an emotional uh, reaction people are going to buy tickets fill stadiums order pay-per-views to watch that fight and Stipe that's what's hurting him Stipe uh, in, in response to my question at the, the post-fight press conference really kind of reverted to his old self and he it, it was kind of it, well, I don't know. You know, I'm I'm a good guy, and and I do think he's a good guy. I oh, mean, he I th- he's a, he, it's not. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just uh, when he's it, when he's got that opportunity to take the mic. And I'll tell you another place was uh, actually on the uh, conference call uh, the the last week, the week prior to the fight. I had asked him, uh, you know, kind of a kind of a an X's and O's question. I said, um, uh, you know, Andre has uh, not fought a lot of accomplished wrestlers. I said he fought a lot of marquee talent, but if you look at his opponents, uh, probably you'd have to go back to Anthony Johnson to find somebody who had, you know, kind of a an established wrestling pedigree. And I said, told Steve, I said, you've got that, obviously. Right. Do we think that we could see more wrestling out of you in this fight? And he, his answer was fine. I mean, it was, you know, it was the old, I'm prepared to, you know, wherever the fight goes. But I think what you have to An realize. An answer that was easily forgotten probably exactly, once you said it. That's what I'm saying. And so it's kind of like you have to, if you're in his spot, you've got to see every question as an opportunity even if you have something else you want to say that isn't really an answer to my question you know yes here's the mic talk yeah. you know and you you that that's your opportunity no in fact we can go in more details on what i'm talking about when we come back from our uh, yeah. our break here all right let's do it uh more next on phone booth fighting it's phone booth fighting brought to you by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. It's what keeps us hydrated here on the weekly mixed martial arts extravaganza. Myself, Richard Hunter, uh, Frank Mir, and Ricky Lindell. All three of us need to stay hydrated. It's more important that some of us stay hydrated than others. Because uh, Frank's got, uh, he, he'll have a fight coming up here uh, in the in the near future, huh? Huh? Maybe stay tuned for yeah. some maybe news on that. As soon yeah. as uh, I'm allowed to talk about maybe? it, you know how the UFC okay. is. They like to keep in that stuff. They don't want to be the ones to. All right. You know, it's like find out a new thing with the wife. She's gonna tell everybody first. You That's know? right. That's right. The uh, the other lady in Frank Mir's wife is uh, goes by three initials yes. UFC. It's my and mistress. That's right, and she likes to uh, break the news first. So Must be the center of attention. That's right. Well, you can uh, rest assured that uh, Real Water is keeping Frank hydrated for this uh, uh, training camp and the upcoming fight, and uh, also Trent Cotney is going to be supporting him as well at TrentCotney.com. Download us. Uh, we bring a, uh, a show to you on a weekly basis uh, in iTunes. Look up Phone Booth Fighting or PhoneBoothFighting.com. All right, Frank, we were talking about Stipe Miocic's marketing problem. He beats Andre in about a minute this past weekend at UFC 195. Spectacular knockout. But uh, for all that effort, uh, he's still got a little bit of the uh, the the uh, run of the mill personality stigma. Yes. He doesn't have the Conor McGregor, uh, Chael Sonnen gift for gab. And you were going to elaborate on that. Well, and here's the thing: 
You can go one of two ways. You can go and make people endear themselves to you and they get to know you and you might have a very likable personality. If people want to follow and back up behind you, they buy tickets. Mm -hmm. If people hate you and want to see you get stomped into the dirt, they'll buy tickets. If people are indifferent and they say your name, you're like, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's all right. That's, a, that's the death cry of uh, MMA. That's, that's horrible for your career to push yourself forward, sell tickets for when you walk in the office and you're staring at Lorenzo and Dana and you want to explain why you deserve the contract you deserve. Yeah. If people are ho-hum about you, you can have a, a laundry list of who you've knocked out or submitted and, and it's not gonna, it's, they're going to stop you in your tracks and say, look, here's our statistics on what, tick, you know, what we sell on pay-per-view and what seats we fill out when you're on the card and you're, not, you're worth this much to us, regardless of how good you are. What are you worth? And so one thing that I think that he could go along is, is his personality. I think a lot of fighters, the mistake they make when they're asked a question, they have an opportunity to tell people things, is they, I think they worry about, and then I've done that in the past myself, and I, I quickly stopped doing it because you can't win. They worry about what people are going to think of them when they say a statement. Be like, hey, what do yeah. you think of your opponent, this or that? And you can't do that because, honestly, people are going to love you or hate you or dislike you or not, and, and, and it's kind of hard to change their opinion. You know, you have a group of people that are going to love you no matter what you do, and you have a group of people that are going to hate you no matter what you do. It's the people in the middle that you've got to have to sway one way or the other, and I think that's by showing them who you are and who your personality is and not worried about how you're going to come off. Just be yourself. Be out there and take the opportunity to, look, answer that question like if you were talking with one of your buddies back home and you're in the gym and someone says, hey, what do you think of your opponent's this? You're like, ah, oh, man, he's great at this, but I'm going to drive here and I think that he doesn't really have me to do this. Or, you know, I remember it happened with me in Czech Congo, right? I, I received a lot of heat off it. People were like, oh, man, you're such an arrogant guy and so cocky. And I'm like, what? Someone said, you know, what do you think about his ground skills? I'm like, mm -hmm. I think he's the worst ground fighter in the heavyweight division. I didn't think about like, well, if I insult him, people are going to dislike me. I'm like, no, I'm going to be honest with you. I've watched film. I think he sucks here. And he's not very good at it, you know? I mean, if we sat there and I even later on elaborated to another person doing an interview, because like, do you really think he's that bad? And I'm like, if we were to have a ground-only competition, uh, you know, an Abu Dhabi or a, a Metamora-style fight with all the, the heavyweights right now, do you think that he would finish anywhere besides dead last? Maybe he might end up finishing Pat Berry? I mean, the, <laughs> but I mean, l let's just be honest. He's not very good here. And I was just very open and sincere about what I thought. And I could explain why I thought that way. And that was my way of, one, inadvertently it helps people go, hey man, Frank Mir's right. I like how he broke that down. Or they go, yeah. man, that guy's a dick. I hope that Congo takes him down and, and, and catches him with something and hurts him. Either way, well, now people are interested. So now to the promoters, when I look at him and go, hey, I want to get paid this much, people now kind of have an idea of who I am and kind of can get to know me. So they can either like me and want to buy tickets or they can really dislike me and want to watch me get hurt. They still buy tickets. You know? No, that's a good point. And because I'll tell you the, the, the rap on you. And, and I knew this even before I knew you uh, personally is you are perceived by the MMA media as a very articulate guy, a guy who gives thoughtful answers. Now, that's not so much I like you, I hate you. But what that is, is, man, if you interview this guy, he isn't a dud. If you interview him and you ask him right. a question, he's going to give you a thoughtful answer. Now, I'll tell you where that benefits the UFC. What that means is when somebody listens to a show like our phone booth fighting or or you're appearing on Chael Sonnen's podcast or a radio station or wherever, uh, if you're known as a guy who's going to say, 
you know, uh, just give the minimal answer and the stock answer and the generic answer. And as you said, the, the quickly forgotten answer that people tune out when that happens. Absolutely. But, but if you're giving a thoughtful answer and even better, if you're known for that, if right. you have a reputation for that and, and somebody in my position goes, Hey, you know, coming up next top of the hour, we've got Frank Mir joining us. I'm going to find out his thoughts on his next opponent. They stick around because right. they've heard you interview before and they go, Oh, I mean, this guy's going to break and it that's down. That's what you have us. to be. You have to make it to where you're thought provocative. Yeah. Whether people want to agree with you or disagree with you, you have to start people where they're not wasting their time by listening to one of your interviews. It can't be where you're like, hey, so what do you think of your opponent? You know, I think he's a tough guy. He's really nice. We have a great fight. It's like, man, I've heard that. If you're a fan of the sport, I've heard that a thousand times. Mm -hmm. Tell me what you think. Yeah. Well, I think that he has great hands, or I think that you know his double leg takedown is really great. But I think that once he takes one shot, he shuts down. Or you know, and, and I've been on both sides of it to where I sit there and I mean, if I interview with a guy, I don't sit there and I don't follow the lines of like I'm going to smash this guy. He sucks. I'm yeah. like, well. That's not true. The guy's good at A, B, and C. So I'll be honest. Like when I fought Bigfoot Silva, here I'm having to do an interview. I'm going in basically as the bad guy. I'm going to be fighting in uh, you know enemy territory. I told people like, look, I think that uh, you know he's slow. His output's not that great here. I think that obviously I'm better than him on the ground, but I think my mobility and speed on my feet is going to beat him. And then what is he good at? So I gave him compliments, being truthful. I didn't make anything up. I'm like, hey, you know, if you don't put away Bigfoot, you know, he fights from behind. He's one of the few heavyweights that's not a, a front runner. I I've seen many fights where, like, you know, the, I brought up examples in my uh, my answer. You know, if you watch the Alistair Overeem fight, he lost rounds one and two without a doubt. A blind man reading, you know, could have, hey, what's happening? He's mm -hmm. losing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No no doubt in anybody's mind until 15 seconds before he knocked out uh, Overeem. And I was like, oh, that he encompasses that, you know, he'll always fight back no matter what. So you can talk about your opponent and say his strengths, say his weaknesses. You're not giving up any game plan stuff. It's like, well, I see this, I see that it isn't like you're going to be there and you're going to fight somebody and go well you know i don't think his leg kicks are very good and the guys on the other side go oh see we're gonna be able to kick him in the legs because he's not worried about leg kicks it's like yeah. no i'm just being truthful you don't throw them or you do this or you know vice versa how we match up and i think it it, it creates interest i mean people are busy man you you have work kids life yep. you don't want to sit there and listen to an interview where it's like what did the guy say that's why I say you don't want to be forgetful. No. You know, whether you love me or hate me, I don't forget who I am. If you know my name, I've done my job. However I got there, there's different routes to that path. But if you sit there and like that's where Steve yeah. A right now is the most uh, handicapped is that lots of people, I'm like, hey, uh, Steve A. Miochik. They're like, who? And if I showed him the fight, like, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy fight. And a lot of times with Stipe, here's the problem. He's kind of more known by now as opponents. Like, oh, that's the guy that Junior fought that really close fight yeah. with. Or, well, that's the fight that he went down and fought Mark Hunt. I'm like, see, already, I mean, you're, you're, you're being known by the guys you're fighting now. I mean, we all make our names off each other. But right now, Stipe, it's like not has that household name yet. Yeah. And again, it's because it's like, look, man, you're a fighter. There has to be an edge to you. I'm not saying you have to go the Chael Sonnen route, uh, but you have to talk. You have to let people know who you are, give thought-out answers, you know, and, and get in there and get people to, again, why are they going to buy a ticket to watch you fight? They want to be invested in you, not just watch a fight. People like getting behind somebody. They don't want to know who you are so they can cheer for you, cheer against you. But when they don't know you, it's like, why bother? I mean, look at football players, you know, you, your basketball game. People know who people are. They get behind their stats. They Google them. They know what college they went to. They, they get an idea so they have something they feel vested 
into the competition. So when they watch, I mean, heck, that's why gambling is such a big deal because then you watch a game and now you have money. You're now you're vested on a personal level because you've put some money on the situation. People want to be involved, and if they're not involved, they can't be involved. They don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. If they don't have an idea of whether they like you or hate you, that, like I said, is the worst thing in our sport is for people just to go, yeah, yeah, he's okay. If or maybe even worse than that, it's like who? Yeah. I'll tell you what I think. You know, this is a, a, a uniquely interesting uh, aspect of Steve Amiosik's uh, uh, profile. He's a full-time firefighter still and has wow. no plans of quitting. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm sure he is uh, the last guy that wants to, you know, exploit something like that. And yeah, I'm but not, he's a working-class guy. That's yeah. something you want to— I agree. You're doing it. Yep. Let people know that. I mean, right now, if we went and grabbed all the people to watch that fight and asked them, what does Stipe do for his day job? People are like, well, he has a day job? Yeah. How many people don't know that? Yeah. And don't know that he's a full-fledged firefighter. I'm like, how interesting would that be to be like, you know, because that allows people to relate with you. How many guys go to work, put in a full shift, mm-hmm. get off work and go to the gym and never think, well, I could never be a UFC fighter. No, no, here's a guy that does it too. I agree. That's awesome. Like, I think that's very much a, a trait. Why are we not running with this? Yeah. You're not exploiting it. Like, and, and a guy like Steve Baby and the nice guy is, I could see him go, well, I don't want to take advantage of that or seem like I'm using it. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. No. Well, and that's also where a manager, that's really where an agent or a manager that's comes into play. Badly. I mean, somebody should really be uh, pushing that narrative because it's it's an all-American narrative. and that's he can awesome. Just, and he can just keep being himself. I like he, him a little bit more now that I yeah, just heard See that. there? See, okay, so we're doing our part. Yeah, you've already got me a little bit more vested in the guy because I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I, I watch Steve Bay because what he can do inside the octagon. Yeah. I watch his fighting. I mean, he's in the division with me. Yeah. You know, th- there's things he does very well as a martial artist, but as far as outside the octagon i don't know much about him you know he's never done anything or said anything or been on any clips where i've been like none of my buddies have emailed me like hey man did you see what so-and-so said and throw it my way i'd be like oh man you know like i know more about the ds brothers than i do about stipe you know yeah here's here's what would really catapult him if on the eve of the the uh the fight the fight uh either kane velasquez or fabricio verdum's uh, house caught on fire, and Stipe responded to the blaze. <laughs> now we're talking. There we go. All right. I don't know. It seems like it would be complicated to set up, but uh, stranger things have happened. Coming up next, Frank, I'm going to take you off of the UFC uh, uh, fight page just a bit. I want to talk some music with you, okay? Oh, I had a very uh, musical New Year's Eve, and I want some. I want to want your thoughts on this, okay? Here. Coming up next on Phone Booth Fighting. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, talking mixed martial arts with you. Uh, Myself, Richard Hunter, two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir. We're broadcasting once again from Stately Mir Manor, the first edition of Phone Booth Fighting for the new year, 2016. You know what that means, Frank. It's uh, just about time for me to start uh, drafting my uh, fantasy death pool for 2016. And I was thinking, I know you're uh, you're busy with your world-class fighting, Fighting career and all, but maybe you'd like to uh, maybe uh, draft a team. Maybe you'd like to join me. No, I'm. Uh, I would like to go ahead and do that. Okay. Uh, what we'll do is uh, maybe we'll we'll share the experience with the listeners, and maybe next week something like that. You know, I'll I'll bring over the uh, the laptop and I'll show you the website and everything. Absolutely. We'll have a little friendly competition yeah, more throughout about, the year. It'll make my wife happier because then I'll actually pay attention to. Uh, 
what's happening in the uh, pop culture. Oh, the tabloid world. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And and she's going to wonder, though, when, when someone's passing is announced and you're like, yes, yes. 67 points. <laughs> Woo. Yes. What? Overdose. <laughs> Bonus. Yes. Uh. All right. Speaking of uh, overdoses. So uh, New Year's Eve, my girlfriend and I went to see Motley Crue in Los Angeles at the Staples Center. This wasn't just any show, Frank. This was Motley Crue's last show ever. They announced at the beginning of 2014 that they were going to be retiring. They gave themselves a good two years to do a farewell tour, and they said, uh, we will not perform together as a band after 2015 and of course new year's eve was no the last of day of 2015 here's what's interesting about that certainly glad you asked me that they took the extraordinary step against the backdrop of the fact that many bands have said uh, a la brett Favre, i'm done wait no i'm not come back right. tour they to give it up they brought in an attorney at the press conference and they all signed a contract that said they would never perform together again so it's a, as they presented it, a legally binding contract that said after 2015, we're done. So we'll see. I mean, you know, I, I yeah. you know, I, that's, they certainly, I think, understood the skepticism and they said, look, we've got the four original members, you know, uh, one of the guys, Mick Mars, the guitar player has like a degenerative bone disease that it makes it very tough for him to move around. And they said, you know, just while he's basically still able to, to walk, right, we want to, we want to go out on top, uh, and then, and then call it quits. So I knew back in February that the la the last show was going to be New Year's Eve in L.A. at the Staples Center. And I wanted to be at that last show because a lot of times when bands break up, they don't know they're about to break up. You know, right. they don't their last show, they don't know it's the last show. They just never end up doing another one. They got one. a phone call that so-and-so took a little too much heroin. There's <laughs> that. You know, there's, oh, we're fighting. We're going to take a break. And they just didn't, never end up performing together or whatever. But uh, there was something just kind of uh, fascinating to me about the idea that while I was, you know, watching them play, that they would, you know, I watched them play the last note of uh, Home Sweet Home they know that's the last time they're going to play it. You know, there yeah. was something kind of connective yeah. about that experience, that is right? Cool. I'm glad yeah. you actually, I wouldn't have thought of it that way until you brought that up. That yeah. actually is I, like, I just a super to, valid point. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I felt like, like I could just kind of experience that with them, even yeah. though they were on stage. And I wasn't. That is now, really cool. So, uh, and then my history with the band is that um, in 1984, I saw Motley Crue for the first time at Reunion Arena, where they filmed the Home Sweet Home video. This was in my hometown of Dallas, Texas. Now, I found out years later, after uh, having Nikki Six, the bass player on my radio show, that that night was one of a couple of times that he uh, OD'd and was legally dead for a minute or two, uh, which was way different than the experience I had with my mom dropping me and my friends off in the minivan <laughs> to go see the show. Right. But that was the first time I saw him, was 1984, and I'm in the crowd, if you, you don't see me but if you ever watch the home sweet home video i'm in that crowd that's cool so fast forward all these years later i'm going to be in the crowd when they played and that was the last song they played of the set it was the last note they'll ever play and i was there to see it now uh my girlfriend jennifer was with me now she was born in 1984 so this is a little bit uh she had some catching up to do but um 
she's an old soul. I think that's uh, probably the only reason anybody would be attracted to me. And so, uh, so it wasn't like she was, the experience was lost on her. We, we, we dug it together. You know, we were having a great time, but I, I witnessed something. It's so, it's so fortuitous that you brought up the, uh, the, the scenario of the daredevil X games, extreme athlete and the dangers that they, uh, they confront and all that sort of thing, because Tommy Lee, the drummer in Motley crew for many years uh, has been known for these increasingly elaborate uh, drum setups. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what I know him from now. You've seen the video. I've seen yeah. the video. You've seen him honk the boat horn. <laughs> yes. That is a classic. Uh, you know what? Uh, maybe for another time, depending on how much time we have uh, left in the show, but I have a, a theory about that uh, that uh, seminal sex tape that you're talking about I'll share with you sometime. But Tommy Lee, so to put in perspective, on the home suite home uh, video shoot that I was a part of in 1984, the big trick was his drum riser uh, rose, uh, what would we call this, 180 degrees. Okay, okay. so it went from, from horizontal to vertical. And okay. he's strapped in, and he's playing, basically looking straight degrees. down. Was that 90 degrees? I yeah, failed geometry. Straight the other Thank way. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, 90, 90 degrees. Degree be a, you know, uh, like if I'm facing north. be upside down. I twist, yeah. Right. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you uh, for that, Frank. That's okay. So, uh, Jiu-jitsu, fighting, lots of numbers and leverages. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that uh, that must be why I just got my blue belt. So um so so each tour from then forward, he's tried to do something more and more elaborate, right? With the with the drum setup. There's one year where uh, it, at one point it started uh, going upside down. Then it started spinning. Then it started. Then they had a a loop on the stage like a roller coaster where it would uh, he, his drum his whole drum kit would actually make the loop right on the the roller coaster. Well, this obviously for the last tour ever was going to be the most elaborate setup he'd ever done. So a little theater of the mind here is we're, uh, we're doing radio, but I'm going to show Frank and kind of talk everybody through this. You can see on my phone here, you see this is a basically like a roller coaster track yeah. that is going from the stage, which is the left side of the screen, all the way out to the center of the arena. And what's supposed to happen is his drum kit rides that track, and it's spinning 360 degrees as it goes. So he's going upside down, right side up, upside down, right side up. It's supposed to go all the way down to the bottom and then go back, right, during his drum solo. But... Uh, as fate would have it, on the last night of the tour, it breaks. And it breaks with him hanging upside down in the middle of the Staples Center. Wow, and he was able to keep on going, huh? Well, no, because now he's stuck, and they're going to have to climb up the scaffolding, the riggers and, and the techs. Right. They're going to have to climb up that scaffolding, unstrap him, and help him climb down from the top of the rafters of the Staples Center. You ready to see this video? I'm ready. All right, here we go. This is right at the point where it breaks. I can't believe it's happening on the last night. Really? Wow. Can you imagine? I knew something wasn't right when I took off. I want to say hello, and I want you guys to know something. This crazy, which actually works every night, and tonight, I don't know what's up with it. It's
it's already partying, it's New Year's Eve. This thing right here is a lifetime dream, man. I'm ready my entire life to pull this off, man. Now, do you see the guy climbing to get him? Right, yeah. That guy has, he's having to walk without being strapped to anything up that scaffolding to unhook him. Did they clear out everybody from underneath? No. No, they didn't. Wow. Going back to our little physics conversation. Yeah. <laughs> a human body falling at that distance. I wouldn't yeah. want to be underneath of it. Now they're they're gonna be able to push the they're they're gonna be able to turn him right side up in, in a second okay. to get him unstrapped. So they There it goes, man. It's inching down just a little bit. Look at that guy. Yeah. Would that not scare the hell out of you doing uh, that? I'm not a fan of heights. No. So yeah. Oh, you know what? Why don't you just let me Gravity is uh, very unforgiving. <laughs> yeah. So he's unstrapping. No, I'm bailing. Yeah. Now, when we're done, you're going to have to go back and show me a video of him. This thing actually works oh, properly. Works, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, now you've uh, definitely had my attention. All right, here he goes. You talk about a showstopper. They're going back that way? Well, he's got to climb up over the drums oh, okay. so he can get something to grab onto. There he goes. He's climbing down. I mean, at this point, he's still probably a good two, two and a half stories, three yeah. stories in the air. Uh, he's definitely broken bones at the very least. Yeah. Now, how old is uh, Tommy Lee now? He's uh, in his late 40s. I think he's right about, maybe right about 50. Uh, so there's a lot of life ahead of him. I like to think so. <laughs> and now he's got to walk back through the crowd to get back to the main stage. What's up, you crazy? He plays a guitar, big dog. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. The final show of the Mom. Did anybody of uh, your crew have him on the uh, celebrity list? You know, there's a. Uh, uh, I've never People seen. People might have been cheering for that thing not to have gone so well. Yeah, that's true. I've never seen Tommy Lee uh, pop up on uh, Celebrity Death Pool, but uh, in years past, Nikki Six would have been a good candidate. But he's all clean and sober now, so you know that's that's no fun. Um, anyway, so so that was a little uh, that was a little musical New Year's Eve experience. Uh, I thought I would uh, bring for show and tell tonight, Frank. All right, coming up next, actually, uh, we will. Uh, We'll continue with something a little uh, a little unique because I have if if you are for us it's kind of crazy we kind of go on <laughs> I know I know it it takes a lot but uh, let me just ask you this have you heard of the the Netflix docu series that is sweeping the nation I don't know which one you're gonna say go making ahead. a murderer I have I right. actually started watching it perfect we'll talk about it next yes. phone booth fighting. You're listening to Phone Booth Fighting, brought to you each and every week by Trent Cotney at TrentCotney.com and Real Water. Get real at DrinkRealWater.com, keeping us hydrated by us. I mean me, Richard Hunter. I mean him, two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir and his head coach and head coach to the UFC stars, Ricky Lundell. Ricky was uh, was in action this uh, weekend helping to corner Carlos Condit in his uh, bid for a UFC 
welterweight title. He was taking on Robbie Lawler and uh, did a damn fine job of it, I must say, uh, in a fight that I know it's early, but uh, 2016 is really going to have to step up if they're going to outdo that fight for fight of the year. And if there is a fight that's going to outdo it, I can't wait to see it. Uh, we're uh, talking mixed martial arts and, you know, basically wherever uh, anything else that uh, the, the conversation directs us toward. And Frank, I was thinking about you uh, over this uh, past few days because I got caught up in something that it seems like everybody else is, is caught up in. I tell you what, if, if the people who ought to feel great about this are Netflix shareholders because I can remember a day not so long ago when you said Netflix and people were like, what's that? And then you yeah. had to go, well, it's a, they mail you a DVD and then you watch it, but you don't have to return it at any certain time. They mail it back in. They send you another one. Well, that's given way to, of course, uh, streaming video, and that has given way uh, in kind to original programming on Netflix. Wow. They've done some great stuff. If you've never seen, you ever seen House of wow. Cards? You watch House of Cards? No, not yet. That's actually one show I haven't got into. You'll yeah, like no, it. Everybody keeps telling me that. Good political drama, good stuff on that. Uh, and uh, a couple that of Netflix other things. Netflix, it took down Blockbuster. That's it really I, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They did uh, an original animated series that I loved last year, BoJack Horseman. They did a ridiculous uh, The Six. Was a Netflix original movie? Just I saw with Adam Sandler. Which, yes, that's right. He it's kind of funny because I'm yeah. like everybody else. I love Happy Gilmore yeah. and uh, you know Billy Madison, and you know even the Water Boy and, and any you know his the one the remake they did. I think Adams had some pretty uh, you know, funny movies out there. Yeah. But as of late, I feel like the guy just phones it in. I mean that yeah. one. What was the one where his son? He had the the guy's a really funny comedian too. Uh, Sandberg. Oh, Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg, yeah. which really I thought was a potential for a great movie. It was a good premise. I remember. Oh. I didn't see it, but I, the trailer, I got the premise right. and I liked it. Man, yeah. it was painful. And yeah. I sat through Little Nicky, so I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, so, Netflix uh, has now uh, dipped their toe into the uh, original docu-series market. And wow, what an inaugural effort with Making a Murderer. All right. So I asked you if you had seen it. You said yes. You you had heard about it. You just started watching it. How many uh, episodes are you in, roughly? Um, I've watched about three of them so far. Okay, I know. Great. So I won't give anything away. Because uh, again, when I usually watch television, we go upstairs. Netflix. My wife and I are notoriously bad for that. We'll watch a show, and actually, the reason why I'll give her credit that we started watching it because that's which she gets to choose most things at night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she starts off and we watch, I'm like most husbands, I watch what the wife wants to watch. Mm -hmm. We put it on. But knowing that my wife wakes up at five in the morning, I pretty much just got to put on whatever she thinks we're going to watch. And then once I you know, know that she's sound asleep, uh, you know, which is usually seconds into uh, <laughs> shutting the lights off. Right over to UFC Fight Pass. Well, yeah, actually, I'm a big Neil deGrasse uh, Tyson fan. Oh, yeah. Oh, Cosmos. Man. Oh, Great the Cosmos. Stuff. Yeah. I, fall, I love that. I, I go all over the place. I watch yeah. that. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the other cartoon right now, was it, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, was it Marty and uh, the, the grandpa? He's a, a crazy old man. It's a cartoon. Morton Marty or something like that. I, I don't know. know go one. through it. And yeah. I, we'll go back in. I can yeah. pull it up on my phone. I, yeah. I will fall asleep to that and watch it. But anyways, so that's usually what I pick. So this is one of those nights where I put in because she loves all that, you know, the uh, Discovery channels where it's like, you know, you know, 48 hours. Oh, yeah. All the different murder stuff and how yeah. to kill. Sometimes it just makes me a little nervous. Like I look over at her. I'm like, you know, I'm paying attention <laughs> to this too, right? So, you know, like you're not going to pull one over on me because <laughs> I, I got to make sure that I'm worth more alive than my uh, life right. insurance policy. 
That's right. That's and right. So, um, but so most of the time I turn it off. This is one of those times where she found it, she put it on, and I started kind of watching it. And the next thing I know, even though she was asleep, I'm a couple episodes into it. And now, you know, I got in trouble because now she has to catch up and we didn't watch it together. But anyways, I found it quite intriguing. Like I was grabbing the iPad. I'm like, okay, I got to look this up. This yeah. can't be real when I'm watching. If you don't know the story, just here it is in a nutshell. It's, uh, it's set in Wisconsin. Uh, a guy named Stephen Avery, who was from a... A, a, let's just say kind of a family of undesirables uh you know uh, uh they didn't they own the uh, the junkyard, junkyard they right. had the 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 rural junkyard in the small town and uh they were the outsiders they were the outsiders exactly and so uh you know in in and out of uh legal trouble for mostly minor type stuff although i will point out with this guy rick and morty by the way is the cartoon rick and morty way. there you go uh, that, that, uh, uh, you know, he, he had a, he had a reputation. He had a little bit of a rap sheet, but nothing, uh, rising to the level of, well, what was uh, that weird thing where, again, I don't know, here, spoiler alert, turn it yeah. off if you don't want to, where the one girl said that he would, you know, run out with his, basically his penis out, masturbating and running towards their car. And some oh, really weird, who, odd. Who, who among us, Frank, who among us, I'm who like, are we to judge? I, yes. I've had some weird moments and I've partied in Vegas and I don't think I've ever ran out and started masturbating in front of anybody. You've, least, ne you've never charged a moving car with your penis? No, I haven't no. done that yet. In fact, the amount of alcohol or <laughs> debauchery of chemicals that it would take for me to yeah. finally do that, I wouldn't physically be able to get up and run. <laughs> yes. Well, Stephen Avery was, uh, you know, seemed spent, you know, most of the early part of his adult life just basically being looked down upon by, by the town. So what happens is... Um, very and you, you basically you're going to see all this in the the first episode. So again, we're not really giving anything away. This guy basically went to prison for 18 years for a wrongful rape convention uh, conviction, and DNA uh, testing freed him. But it was really deeper than that because there was a lot of negligence on the part of the small town sheriff's department. Well, everybody is afraid of government. Yeah, it's only going to reaffirm your oh yes your beliefs where people can are valuable as human beings, and mm -hmm. if you give too much power to a group and it's not check and balanced, um, people can be corrupt and take advantage of the system. And really, this was a example, A, of when someone if in, in power can take advantage and if enough people in the chain of command all kind of work together and turn yep. the blind eye or really try to go ahead and, and force an issue they did, and they, they wrongfully uh, imprisoned this individual. So basically a situation of we have this guy as a suspect in this rape. Along the way, we figure out that not only do we not have much of a case against him, but there's somebody else we should be looking at. But you know what? Since we don't like this first guy anyway, let's just not say anything, and this would be a right. good reason to just get Which him off the grid. Appalling. That's when I, when I yeah. saw that, I'm like, not liking somebody keying their car, yeah. the old put sugar in their gas tank, egg their house. You know, these are things I understand that, you know, you have some energy. I mean, I remember being a, a teenager and being angry at a neighbor that got me in trouble with my parents. And I shot out some windows with a BB gun, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, there's some remorse afterwards. You feel bad or if you don't feel bad. But going out there and taking away a man's life. Yeah and putting him in prison for a crime he didn't commit like how you can justify that by disliking somebody 
it's like I kept looking for something that he would have done. I'm like, okay, was he basically? Do you really feel that he was a, a you know, a child molester? We couldn't get him on this. We're gonna get him on something else. And you know, the world is a better place. We have this person off the street. And so I'm like, no, you guys are just purebred well, evil. I'll tell you something that that certainly concerned me about him. Uh, and by the way, if you think that all this sounds like a, a 48 hours episode, and it certainly does. This was just the first episode. We haven't even really gotten into what this whole thing is about. This yes. is just basically the backstory on him. But after 18 years, he was uh, exonerated, and he was in a position to sue the town for many, many millions of dollars for wrongful incarceration. All right, So that's kind of where the whole thing starts. Now, the, the problem with this sort of thing, uh, to, to your point about, you know, well, are they good? is a good guy, is he a bad guy, whatever— a lot of times you take somebody who, even if they're not guilty of the crime you're accusing them of, they may not be good people. They may have problems because Absolutely. it was it was kind of glossed over in this. But I'll tell you something that I, I shot right up in bed as soon as I heard him say it is one of the things he was convicted of was taking a, a cat and throwing it on a fire. Let me tell you something. Somebody That's who does a bad sign. somebody who does that. Very. That's a warning sign. That is Absolutely. a huge red flag. Now, sure. now he he was convicted of that. Okay, but all I'm saying is that right there is is a hallmark of somebody who's got some serious uh, uh, things wrong with them. But when you wrongfully accuse them, or or worse yet, incarcerate them. You make martyrs out of people. And so what you end up doing is you end up taking people. You know, it's like, I mean, I didn't know Rodney King personally, but he had quite a rap sheet as well. Yes. You know, the police who beat the hell out of him, they did their their own uh, profession a huge disservice they by did. doing that. It wasn't that he was, you know, father of the year or anything, but they made a martyr out of well, somebody it's by like doing somebody something like that. Well, is vandalizing cars. You know, breaking into people's cars and, and t ripping the radio out of it and, and, and whatnot, that is a crime. That's yeah. bad. But if I walk out and you drop the radio and you start running and I cut you in half with a shotgun mm -hmm. from behind, um, people are going to start feeling bad for you. Yeah, now because all of a sudden now the, the punishment, about you. right? Yeah, way out. It's like okay, for sure. you're right. I agree. And, and and for some reason, the human mind is such extremes: good, bad. I'm like, man, everything's gray. It's all degrees, and it's a web. There isn't no, there isn't pure left, no pure right. That there's varying degrees and so many different uh, uh, segments to this puzzle. Yeah. So when you sit there and people will do that, now you have a person who's a criminal. Or, you know, a person that's unfavorable human being in society. But when you do something on the other end, like I said, like there's a great example. Kids robbing, you know, uh, cars and then you shoot one from behind, you know, who's not a threat, who, you know, who's just trying to flee. It's like, okay, well, you murdered somebody for stealing. Like mm -hmm. now it's again, now it's no longer about the fact of them stealing, which it should have just stayed about that, you know? Yeah. And now it's like, well, now you murdered so, and, and now we're like, oh, the young kid just on hard times, bad upbringing. Like, whoa, why are we making this person out to be a good guy? I'm not saying he deserved to be shot, but at the same time, we're not saying this is an upstanding member of society either. Yeah, yeah. And and so that gets you right through episode one. He serves uh, 18 years for a crime he didn't commit. He's exonerated. He's released. He is on the, uh, the, the verge of 
of uh, going to court and very likely they even passed new legislation in that state. They did. They called Steve Avery Law uh, to uh, to help prevent this sort of thing from happening again. The governor signed it into law. He was on the verge of. Uh, well, they had very, to change the name of it now, didn't they? Because yeah, of, yeah, they did because right. of because of what happened. But uh, he was very likely about to win uh, many tens of millions of dollars from the state, and then that was when they found a. Uh, charred body on his property and we will pick up the discussion next on phone booth fighting you're listening to phone booth fighting follow us on social media instagram at phone booth fighting on twitter at phone booth fight they didn't give me enough characters to get the whole uh <laughs> name in there so we're phone booth fight on twitter uh by the way we have a new fun logo check that out at uh the phone booth fighting Instagram, uh, new year, new logo for phone booth fighting. Uh, you can follow us all individually on Twitter and Instagram at the Frank Mir, at Ricky Lundell, and at Richard Hunter. And of course, to subscribe to the podcast if you're listening to us terrestrially, uh, we like that. We like it even better if you uh, download the episode and listen to it a second time. It's like leftovers the day after Thanksgiving. It's uh, kind of, in some ways, the best part of the show. You can uh, get that by going to phoneboothfighting.com or subscribing in iTunes. And please, uh, if you're just going to do one thing for us in 2016, it's tell a friend about the show. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, I am Richard Hunter, and I'm here with two-time UFC heavyweight champion Frank Mir, and we're broadcasting, as we very often do, from Stately Mir Manor here in uh, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, where Frank was born and raised and where I transplanted myself here just a few years ago because I loved mixed martial arts so much I had to be closer to uh, its global headquarters. So we were just talking about the fact that we've both gotten into this uh, Making a Murder docuseries on Netflix. And these are hour-long episodes, and I think there's like 10 episodes. I yeah, mean, uh, uh, yeah, I will, and, and I'm not going to give anything away, as I said. So if you're listening, you haven't seen it, don't worry. No no uh, spoiler alerts away. issued <laughs> here. No, we're not, we're not really giving anything away past the first episode. Uh, but um, it, uh, so when they find, so he does the 18 years crime he didn't commit. He's exonerated. He's out. He's about to, you know, go to court, likely uh, become a multimillionaire from the lawsuit. And all of a sudden, a charred uh, body or remains of a body, bone fragments and such, turns up on his uh, property. A young lady has gone missing and they find the charred remains on his property outside his trailer on the family junkyard and uh and her car there as well and of course you'd think right then uh you know well okay there's there's your you know uh, the proverbial smoking gun i mean a, a smoking body uh, is probably going to lead to a certain murder conviction but because he has been uh, railroaded, uh, you, you know, in, in, in a way that's, that's, that's been documented and, and, and so badly so that the, the whole decision had to be reversed and he had to be released from prison by this same community's uh, sheriff's department. Everybody is very suspicious of the fact that he might have been set up again, especially because he was about to possibly bankrupt the city with a major lawsuit. Now, have you seen enough episodes to meet his nephew, Brendan, yet? No, I haven't. Okay, well, that's going to be an important figure. Uh, Brendan is his, I think at the time, 15-year-old uh, nephew who figures prominently into the case, but a guy who uh, has an IQ that is so low 
that despite the fact that he's 15, 16 years old, he's reading on a fourth grade level. And they get him in to the interrogation room. You're going to, you see all this on, on tape and they coerce a confession out of him and they do it in that way where it's like, uh, you know, uh, Frank, uh, uh, what time did you get home today? You know, and you say, you know, six o'clock and I go, you're lying to me, Frank. You, you got home at seven. You got home at seven. Now, come on, tell me the truth. You got home at seven, didn't right. you? You know, and, and if you're if you're not an intelligent person well, and, you know, all you want to do is go home. And even an intelligent person can fall victim to that. That's yeah. why I'm against that type of an, yeah. uh, type of interviewing because I feel like it doesn't provide any information. I mean, it does, but it, it seems to me that a guilty person then can be freed because if they are being interviewed that way and a defense attorney can pick that apart and there are people that have confessed to doing things because of the aggressive tactics of the investigator. Yeah. Sometimes it gets to the point where you're in there for 8, 10, 12 hours and you have somebody who's playing mind games with you and you're in a stressful situation, sometimes you feel like, I'll just say whatever you want me to hear yeah. so I can get out of here. And that's been documented, and that's been shown that, look, you're not, as the as a uh, person of the justice, you're not doing a service to society because now you're actually going to discredit any kind of confession that comes this way because you coerced it. You did it under, uh, you know... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for uh, when you're under duress? Under duress. Mm -hmm. So I understand there's tactics that have to be used to get someone to try to go out, but at the same time, they've been done wrong. You know, I mean, we could go a whole show. Uh, what was the individual's name? I started looking north to make sure. Last name was Banks. Uh, Brian Banks, the young American f kid, uh, football player from California mm -hmm. in high school, was accused of rape, was taken in and basically confessed to it. Find out later on. I mean, it was all over the news a couple of years back that um, he didn't do it. He, the girl actually came forward. They were able to corner her and found out that her family made her lie about this rape because they were able to sue the city for one and a half million dollars. And this guy did like uh, six years. Yeah. But you had a 17 year old kid who, you know, average you know, of an yeah. he's not below average intelligence, you know, but because he was in a room being coerced and under duress, yeah. it's they, you know, they the situation was like, you're going to do, you know, 41 years, I think was the number uh -huh. I'm looking up. But if you go ahead and just confess to this, you know, you'll do a couple years and get on parole. So, okay, you know, you're going to go to prison and with no attorney representation, like, and so now you have people that are innocent, you know, confessing to things they didn't do. Yeah, no. And, and now imagine on top of all that, doing it to basically a child. I mean, somebody who is of such a low, uh, you know, diminishment. So they capacity. were able to interrogate, they put him in the interview room without. No parent, no lawyer. That's, you know what? I know that they, you have to, as your rights have to request to have an attorney present. Mm -hmm. um, and I know they read you your Miranda, but I don't think people are understanding what that means. Yeah. And I think in a lot of situations, it should just be, I can't talk to you till an attorney's present. Right. And, you know? and, and to give you an idea of like how, how clueless, I mean, this kid was to, you know, the, 
the the precarious situation he was in he sits through and it you know it was it was like a five six hour deal i mean that he sat through and it was they were wearing on him and they're wearing on him and they're putting ideas in his head and yes. he's giving them information i've watched videos on oh, people yeah, doing yeah. this i'm like yeah. looking at and i and i hate that when people sit there and go well, i would never do that i'm all stop telling me what you would do yeah you haven't been in that situation so no. we need to look at it and empathize with people that are put there and make sure that because i mean i look at it from both sides i'm very much you know hey I'm favorable to the police department, but I think, are they still human beings? Do people still make mistakes? Absolutely. So I'm not looking at it as a way of like, well, you know, you know, screw the police. You know, they're, they're bad guys. Like, no, they're good guys. Let's, you know, and there's bad elements in every world, in every facet of life. Are there officers that are scumbags? Yeah. But I mean, there's attorneys that are good guys. There's doctors that are good guys. There's politicians. There are a few that are good people. But you have the bad too. So when I looked at those situations, I'm like, okay, how can I make this better? Because not only do I not want someone who's innocent to be wrongfully convicted, yeah. I don't want this to be a loophole that the bad guy that should go to prison is able to uh, to to exploit and a defense attorney come through and be able to get through exactly, this. Exactly, exactly. That's and, and that's why it's important that the whole system is is strong it's you know when you say well why does this you know lock him up throw away the key it's obvious that somebody's guilty sometimes it is but the reason that you've got to make sure that they get a fair trial is so that you make sure everybody gets Absolutely. a fair trial and so you make sure that their conviction stands up that's another part yeah, of it because you don't want the bad guy to get away with that's something. exactly right so this guy this kid you know he's like i said he's i think 16 when this is happening but reading on a fourth grade level and obviously mentally challenged he endures all this and it exactly what you said it gets to a point where he's just telling them what they want to hear telling them what they want to hear and to to really like like sum this up for for how you know out of touch he is with the whole situation because every one of the phone calls from jail is taped uh they play audio after all this has happened and he he's on the phone with his mom right she's like you know brendan this is this is terrible you know this is this is uh uh very very serious and the only thing he says to her he goes he goes am i going to be out by april 10th and she goes why what's april 10th and he goes wrestlemania jeez like that's what he's worried about is getting to see wrestlemania yeah you know and he's facing you know possible yeah, life how in can prison. you talk to that kid as an like that's what i would look at as an investigator if i was investigating that situation yeah. i would want to make sure that i'm like well, let me get him when his parents aren't here because you know maybe the attorney's going to have him lie or protect him that's not the way to look at it it's like let me make sure that whatever information this person gives me yep. is true it's about finding the correct information not getting someone to tell you what you want to hear because then it, it takes out the element of justice it's like well i want to make sure i find out the truth i don't yeah. as a as a, a an investigator as an officer i don't feel like you have a, a you know what do they say like a horse in the race yeah there should be no connection to where you care about the outcome of the situation you just care about finding truth you just want to make sure you know what happened and the proper people have, have committed the crime are punished accordingly and if you haven't been then you're exonerated um that's you should be an information gatherer and i don't think using some of these underhand dirty tactics i think they hurt the overall justice system all right because phone booth fighting homework assignment here's yes. what we're gonna do uh if if, if you're into this and you, and you watch just a few episodes of it you are gonna be if you have netflix watch uh some of this between now and next week and you know what we could do frank we could try doing this we ought to periscope 
some making a murderer talk next yeah. week when we uh, tape the show. We'll invite people to join in on the conversation. We'll kind of talk about where we're at in See, the When uh, I watch series. this, I, again, going back to uh, the kid that I'm talking about, Brian yeah. Banks. Yeah. That's a story that we could talk about. Uh, so much to, uh, to to get into on that topic, and we'll do some more next week uh, after uh, we, we have a chance to watch a few more episodes with you guys. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast at phoneboothfighting.com or in iTunes. Uh, look up Phone Booth Fighting. You can follow us on social media at Phone Booth Fighting on Instagram, at Phone Booth Fight on Twitter, and each of us individually, Frank, Ricky, and myself, at the Frank Mir, at Ricky Lundell, and at Richard Hunter on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, check out uh, drinkrealwater.com to find out all about why we sing the praises of real water. And uh, also trentcotney.com, a great friend and supporter of many a mixed martial artist. For uh, Frank Mir, I'm Richard Hunter, and we will see you right back here next week for another episode of Phone Booth Fighting. Everybody was Kung Fu.